Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, I speak with Assistant Professor of Dramatic Art Jacqueline Lawton. In our conversation, Professor Lawton discusses her current theatrical productions, overcoming challenges of producing theater during the pandemic, and a follow-up on our first podcast conversation in episode 68. Jacqueline, thanks so much for joining me today to talk a little bit about your work. Thank you for having me, Philip. So if you could, how would you describe your work and what you do at UNC in one or two sentences? Oh, wow, that's hard, Philip. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Dramatic Art and a dramaturg with Playmakers Repertory Company. Okay. I won't count that as your sentence. <laughs> so that's one sentence. No, no. Well, so I also do creative research, and I've had the opportunity to collaborate with the Center for the Study of the American South on two projects. Mm-hmm. One that's looking at um, environmental justice in communities that are impacted by the climate change. And we're looking at um, Robeson County and the Black and Indigenous community there and their uh, basically their resilience to all the hurricanes, the flooding, and how they can continue to grow as a community. And the other project is, oh, it's very exciting. So not that the the other one is also very exciting, but um, this is around, Melinda had this, uh, Melinda Lowry, who's the director, uh, she had this exciting uh, idea around artists responding to what was happening with the Confederate statues. So it's imagining UNC's future through art. And Mm -hmm. so we're working with a total of six different you know, ensembles, individuals and ensembles, as they're, uh, they're imagining like, what, what is this moment? And how can art intervene in this moment? And what kind of public art can be created so that those who show up on our campus can have conversation with the past, present and future. And so I've been the dramaturg with those projects, helping the artists to think deeply about the work they're doing, interrogating the interaction the audience will have. And then we're about to create uh, our website so that since it is COVID-19 and we can't do the performances in the public way that we were gonna do them, we're gonna try to share them with the public online. So that's our next iteration. Um, so I know that's a lot more than two sentences, but that's, no, that's, that's some okay. of the creative research that I do that's that's separate from my playwriting practice. Well, that's great. And I remember we spoke before in a previous podcast about a, a play you're working with on Marvell Cook. That's and, right. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that as like a follow-up from the, the initial conversation we had? I would love to, yeah. So that was when I had the opportunity to be a fellow with the Institute for Arts Humanities. And I actually learned that her name is pronounced Marvel Cook. So oh. Marvel. So that, no, I, I learned too, which is lovely. Um, well, after I wrote it and I had the reading, which was really wonderful because the development of the play happened in process with the, the other scholars that were part of my fellowship year. So we had a reading and they got this see the play so they could see where their notes and feedback had been incorporated and then Playmakers Repertory decided they wanted to produce it which was really exciting and so they were supposed to produce it this past spring but then COVID-19 hit and then our plans were to film it and then COVID-19 said nope we're not going away so now the hope is that we can film it and we can produce it in the spring and if not produced then we will film it um, in the spring so the 
beautiful thing about that play, so it, it is, it's telling, it's a life and legacy of Margot Cook and the extraordinary work she did as an investigative journalist, as a union activist, um, and just as a human being. And it's allowed me to speak very much to this particular moment. Like, how do we show up to tell the stories of what are happening to our people and in our communities right now? The power of investigative journalists and the power of coalition building community organizing as we work to address the issues that are very specific to our communities but speak out loud like we see what the Black Lives Matter movement is doing and how it's tapped into literally every nation and how it shows up. So that has been unexpected, you know, that the, that the play holds the level of relevancy that it does. So it's still going and a couple of other theaters are reading it right now too because mm -hmm. the idea of a solo performance piece is easier to produce when trying to keep everyone safe, you know, from the virus. Right. Well, that's great. That's exciting. Um, it's 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 good to hear that despite the challenges and the the restrictions, especially in something as like performance art, that this can still this this play will still be able to to uh, exist and live on and be put out there in some way. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Despite the projects you've already talked about, <laughs> I know you seem to be pretty prolific in the things you you work on just from, yes. from knowing you for the past like year or two uh, is there another uh play or anything that you're working on now that you would like to talk about or any research or anything going on well i i'd love to share for this particular audience about uh, my play 19. so the a local theater company called the women's theater festival commissioned me to write a play around the 19th Amendment because the North Carolina League of Women Voters out of Wake County approached them about wanting to tell the story about what happened you know, to the 19th Amendment in North Carolina specifically. North Carolina did not pass it. And not only that, but there were white women at the time who were working actively against black women voting. And they wanted to tell that story because that's not a story that gets talked about. But they also, the theater, the, the, the theme of this season is supposed to be family. So the theater wanted an interracial family at the center. And I said, hello, anti-miscegenation laws. So that forced me to really like push the imagination and, and imagine, you know, all of history is not written. And so what are the unwritten stories that we may not know, but are talked about just in our families. So I could imagine this interracial couple and the center is for women. So two black women, two white women, and they're all advocating for the right to vote, but there's a fear about if black women get the right to vote, then black men will hold positions of power and there's a real pushback against that. So that's that's the play. And um, it's it's for as as dark as the themes and, and serious as themes are, there's a lot of humor. It's it's very funny, which is which was intentional because mm -hmm. we've got to come together and laugh through this work. Right. And then um, so it's an hour-long play. And we just had we just shared a uh, excerpt of it at the Women's Theater Festival um, on July 11th, and the idea was when we present this play, whether we present it as a reading online or if it's safe to do so in person, the second um, hour will be conversations around voting rights mm. and getting voting advocates and voting activists in conversation with the audience about what what is actually happening on the ground right now and what can everyday people do to ensure that our rights are, are upheld, maintained and honored, and then making sure that people are registered to vote. So I'm really excited that this piece of theater is is written very to a specific issue to spark conversation and dialogue and action. And we'll be able to do it, you know, like I said, online or in person. And of course, it's an election year. So yeah. it's a really, really important topic. Yeah, it's amazing how both these two plays that you're you just referenced, like this particular one and the Marvel, the Marvel Cook story, despite being 
based in history, even a hundred years ago, they're incredibly prescient and for better, for worse, but that's the way it is. Um, I think you kind of answered the next question I had because I was, I was thinking of, well, we're, we're talking about people's research and the work you do. And in this case, you're, you do a kind of a hybrid of, of research and a creative element to transmit or to share that research. But I was, I was at thinking about how you envision or how, how you hope that your work and your projects, in this case, your plays shape or change, um, like popular culture or, uh, you know, policies or, or kind of have a broader reach beyond, I'd say the stage to right, <laughs> the metaphorical right, right. stage. The metaphorical stage. Yeah, yeah. I think that because, um, I mean, the formation of my career was in DC. So this is a very political city with local is national. Um, but then prior to that, when I went to UT Austin, so I was, a, I was studying playwriting between 2000 and 2003. So when the, you know, the nation went to war in Iraq and it became, and I'm, and I'm the daughter of veterans. And so there's a real, there's a real sense of military that I hold. And I just remember in 2003, when we, I don't know, we went into war, like something just, something just changed very dramatically for me around how do we hold our political officials and people in positions of power to account for their actions and inactions? Like it was very clear to me that there's a there's a danger to what isn't done as much as there is a danger to what is done when marginalized communities are are negatively impacted. And so it just became very clear to me that in my writing, I would have like that would have to be at the center of my work. So not just telling the stories of the black community and other marginalized communities, like placing us at the center and uh, you know, decentering whiteness, disrupting this narrative that that only whiteness is universal, but that there needs to be a sense of, okay, if a wrong is done, it must be named. And whether those held to account action is followed, at least we at least we found everyday individuals who knew how to show up in the world in support of their communities. And, and that became really important. So while you know, it'll be a comedy, it could be a drama, it could be historical fiction, um, it could be a farce, like it, it doesn't matter what the genre of the play is. At the center is going to be a community of people who are, you know, either waking up to their circumstances or having long fought in their circumstances and finding a turn or something, they're, they're, but there's something very clear and specific. And what I hope is that people are learning something new or learning something in a different way or meeting people in a different way, that they have their perspective shifted, whether that means they're gonna, you know, march in the streets or vote differently, I don't know. Like I can't necessarily change people's minds, but um, I can tap into empathy so I can, I can open their hearts. And if you can open someone's heart, then you can, then you can potentially change someone's mind. Um, so that that's really that's really my hope as a that the creative research can push through to the other side of of curiosity, empathy, and I hope activism. But if I can't get that last one, at least maybe curiosity and empathy. Great. Well, thank you very much. I have one more question, if that's all right. Uh, what's a book that inspired your research or inspired your work uh, that you know you're just describing? So it wasn't a book, and it actually may surprise people. I'm looking on my shelf because it's. It's, it's a play. It's actually Arthur Miller's All My Sons. And if you, and I, I saw a production of it in Austin at St. Edward's University. And that play just cracked open. Okay, I mean, there were probably three plays that did this, but, but that play in particular cracked open for me the consequences of what individual's actions. Because in that play, we learned that a father worked at a, um, 
like a, a, a weapons factory and, and he knew that equipment that he had made was, was faulty, mm. but pushed it through anyway yeah. because of demands and money and, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And then of course we understand the ramifications of that with faulty equipment. That play just cracked open for me about consequences, individual actions, community response. And I just remember, I remember sitting there in just, in just tears watching that. Um, yeah, that's, that's one play that shifted how I want to enter. Cause it's definitely, I'm very interested in everyday individuals, which is what Arthur Miller was also interested in, you know, the common man um, and the common man, the role responsibilities and engagement of that individual within the, in their community. So I can definitely name that as a very powerful play. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. Awesome. And uh, Jacqueline, thank you for talking with me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was great. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.